You're listening to Bitcoin and Markets. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. My name is Ansel Lindner. This is Bitcoin and Markets. Today, there's still Bitcoin absent of drama for the most part. I'll touch on a little tiny bit of drama that's kind of stirring in Bitcoin. But for the most part, I'm going to be talking about Ethereum again and the DAO, the fallout from the DAO. Um, I I realize that a lot of people that might uh, stumble uh, across this podcast... You know, they they might have heard about Bitcoin and they want to get kind of up to speed on Bitcoin and stuff. And, and I use some technical terms, I think, that a lot of people might not understand. So I want to go through what a hard fork is and what a soft fork is. All right. So uh, Ethereum is a network out there and they have a blockchain and they're running on all these nodes. Right now, it's proof of work, which means that these nodes are actually burning energy to try to find and support the network, find blocks and support the network. Well, um, a soft fork is where you change the code, but it doesn't make old nodes or old software incompatible. And a hard fork is where you must update or you will be no longer on the same network. So it's an incompatible change. Um so that's the difference between a hard fork and a soft fork. That a lot of, you know, you want to avoid a hard fork as much as possible because um, everybody must be active that's running a node and update it. Like, for instance, I run a, a node here in my house, and if I don't update on a hard fork, my node will no longer be on the network. But on a soft fork, my node would be on a net, on still on the network. All right, so... Ethereum, they came out with a soft fork fix for this big hack that they had um, in the DAO. Um, and it was discovered that there were problems with this soft fork. So they couldn't uh they couldn't go through well basically the problem was, let me describe that real fast, is um they if you mentioned the word DAO in your smart contract, quote unquote smart contract, then the uh, the Ethereum code would stop processing that smart contract. So you could burn up all of this time that these guys are crunching away on your smart contract, um, burning up your Ethereum or gas that you're that you need to pay to execute the smart contract. But then at the very end you could call DAO and everything gets set back to the way it was. You don't lose any Ethereum or gas. You don't lose lose any. It doesn't cost you anything to carry out this attack, but it would effectively grind the network to a halt. So uh, that was the problem with the so- soft fork that they had going. So now they decided to do a hasty hard fork, and I knew that there was going to be some problems with this. And now there are. First off, there's a social problem, and I think that's very, very important in this in this whole discussion. There, there's a lot of people in the community that are fed up with this, and they say, "Look, we cannot. This is a bad precedent. We might have supported it weekly at the beginning, but now we cannot have this. It's too much trouble. It's making us look bad. We need to stop with this and let the DAO uh, attacker have his ether." So, um, that's, it's starting to split the community into these two big camps. Um, as an example, F2 pool, uh, 
they have come out saying now that they're, they're a large pool. I think they have roughly 10 to 15% of the network of Ethereum's network. And they are saying that they are not going to the new fork. They are going to stay on the old fork. And of course there was all this whining on Reddit from these Ethereum folks. Uh, they're saying they, you need to have a democratic process. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. We, the the users have not voted at all on this and you're just making a unilateral decision well stop being a baby and switch pools i'm thinking people might jump onto f2 pool that are on other pools because they don't want to support this hard fork it's actually a good move by f2 pool so yeah stop crying and just move get it over with come on the the, the obsession with democracy with voting it's so crazy. I mean, they would want to vote on every little thing. And I tweeted about this. Um, so yeah, my tweet said, uh, the spread of the idea that democracy must be applied to every damn thing is crazy. And it is. There need, people make decisions in this world. What, are we going to vote on what you vote? Like, what gives you the right to have a vote? Shouldn't your vote be actually decided by other people voting what you should vote? I mean, it, it just, it breaks down into ab absurdity, right? So, and, and I think that's a lot of these Ethereum folks. I mean, if you look at Griff Green and Slocket, they, they want to do this um, smart lock thing. It's a bunch of these socialists or communists that had this utopian idea about the sharing community or the sharing economy. And... So a lot of these type of socialist ideas moved to Ethereum because they, they, they knew they couldn't get it with Bitcoin because of the, the heart, the way that the, the code is handled and the, um, the economics of Bitcoin. So they wanted to, they found Ethereum. And so a lot of those folks, I think, are these diehard, uh, democracy people that, you know, whatever. So that's, that's an interesting part of this. Okay, um, so what's the new attack on the hard fork? So other than the social attack, you have this technical attack, and it's called a replay attack. So after a hard fork, you have two branches. One is on the new one, the new code base, and one is on the old code base, and they cannot talk to each other. Um, except in this situation, this hard fork is not being done for a technical reason. It's being done for a uh, social reason, right? Uh, and a um, ideological reason or a justice reason. So there is no um, problem with the code. So the code actually will still talk to each other. It's just that your node is going to be running a different program. And if you transmit, uh, it depends which side you transmit your transaction. So if you make a transaction on the old chain, right, or the old version of this fork, the old branch, and um, you, you, you sign this transaction and you transmit it. That transaction itself is still valid on the new chain. It's just that you transmitted it to old nodes with a different version number, right? I mean, the only, the only time that wouldn't be the case is if you, the attacker tries to spend his DAO or his uh, Ether. That's the only time that it wouldn't be uh, valid. So, 
that's called the replay tech because you can send, you can capture a transaction and you can, f uh, on one side and force the other side to mirror it. And it opens up a lot of different attack vectors. I'm going to put a link in the show notes for a post on Reddit that goes over this a little bit more in depth. But it's, a, that's a big technical thing. So this, this hard fork is not only socially, um, a problem, but it's, technically a problem and just watch out for it i got a few other things that aren't necessarily crypto related that i wanted to go over all right here's one so this is from zero hedge and it's talking about the wealth of the ca a capital area of a country versus the rest of the country so like in the united states it would be dc area versus the rest um in Sweden, it would be Stockholm versus the rest, um, or at least the average. So it was, it's a pretty interesting chart here. And guess who's the worst by far? The United States. The United States is at, it looks to be about 165%. The capital area is more wealthy than the rest of the country. And the next closest is, uh, Greece. And, oh my God, that's the next closest is Greece. Oh my God. And th after that, you have Great Britain, obviously, with London. And that's at 140. And the U.S. is 165. It is so skewed. These politicians live in a bubble, right? They live in this bubble of wealth. They don't understand that you can't take another 5% tax increase because they fucking have so much money. They don't give a shit. They don't pay for anything. Okay, I could talk for an hour on that. Let's uh, do another one. Okay, here's one. This is about uh, the being a dangerous profession. And a lot of people, you know, they're saying police officer. That's a very dangerous profession. That's why they have guns. That's why they draw guns on people. Because they don't want to die because it's super dangerous. <laughs> right? Well, let me just say a few professions that are more dangerous than a police officer. Pilots. Gar uh, garbage collectors. Uh, farmers. <laughs> electrical workers. Agriculture workers. Landscapers. Groundskeepers. Bartender. Bartender is... There are... Out of 100,000 workers, a bar bartenders have 16.4 fatalities. Police officers have 10.8. So almost 6%, or that's not even 6%, but uh, almost 6 out of 1,000 less for uh, police officers than bartenders. Yet we give them the license to kill. We don't give the license to kill to a bartender who is in more danger than a police officer. Oh, my God. So, I mean, now, even with these recent uh, cop shootings in the United States, it's still less than bartenders. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, I could go on again ever on that. Okay, so now to steam it. Um... There's this guy on Twitter, Whale Panda. I, he's, <laughs> he makes me laugh because he just is digging at Steam over and over again. Uh, 
which is good. I mean, the calling out the scam and making it kind of funny that, I mean, if you look at one coin, right? Bitcoin Uncensored guys, they did this one coin. Uh, they went to the one, uh, one coin meetup or pitch down in, uh, Miami or Southern California somewhere or s- Southern Florida. And, um, they, they called them out and they caused a, a ruckus in there. Well, that's good because one coin is a huge scam and steam. It isn't as bad as one coin. They probably think they're doing something revolutionary or, um, innovative. I mean, it is kind of innovative, but it's not revolutionary. It's not like, uh, it's going to be worth anything in the very near future. So yeah, it's, it's, this guy is hilarious because he keeps sticking to steam. Like every time he finds something that is bad with steam, he posts it and just digs at him, man. Uh, here he's saying, yeah, this, it's not fixed. And he is circling all of the, some guy, the person with the highest, um, uh, upvote, I guess on steam, $22,000 for a single post. And it is a, their first steam it makeup tutorial. $22,000. Maybe those are steam dollars, but still. That is ridiculous. <laughs> I think it goes up like 50 cents every time you tip somebody. And so that means they had to have 40, 45,000 upvotes. <laughs> I don't think that the bug is fixed, people. And you can't withdraw. That's the big point is that you can get all these upvotes, but now they're saying you can't withdraw this stuff from our client. And you can't get your money out, but keep upvoting, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, so that's, <laughs> I don't want to go too much onto Steam because it's a little bit funny. It's a little bit sad. Um, it's good that there's people out there talking about it like Whale Panda and on Twitter and myself on the podcast because, you know, you got to tell people about this a little bit and make sure that they don't get too caught up in the hype. All right. Here's another one is, uh, this is just an article. I shared it with John Matonis because I got in a little back and forth with him on Twitter and I think it was kind of a misunderstanding. It wasn't, it was civil, but, uh, it, it involved the plunge protection team. And I don't know how many of you guys know that out there, but in 1988, uh, under Reagan, they passed a, um, it was an act of Congress, I'm pretty sure, that created this plunge protection team. And, they go out there and manipulate asset prices. That's what they do. And it was in the, the, um, aftermath of the 87 crash. And that was the turning point where, uh, the feds started their policy of supporting asset prices. If, if they could make the stock market go up, the confidence in the economy would be high. That was their, their reasoning. And they, at first it worked. They, they got it. They corrected it, but you know, once you take that first hit of heroin, it's really hard not to take another hit of heroin, right? Um, so they got addicted to it. And the, their weapon of choice is this plunge protection team. I mean, it is a fact that this is what they do. And I linked to this article on Zero Hedge from last year or two years ago about, um, they had somebody, a whistleblower, a plunge protection team whistleblower that goes through kind of the plunge protection team stuff. So check that out. 
All right, last thing I have, uh, what I talk, touched on at the beginning was a tiny bit of drama is starting to surface in Bitcoin, and that is mainly centered on the block size debate, which is covered up by this whining and crying about censorship. Because the people want, they want to get rid of censorship so they can talk about the block size debate, right? But that's, they're being just whiny little babies right now. There's a few people in the community that will not let it die, right? They really, really want to change Bitcoin to fit their business model. They really want to change Bitcoin to fit their personal beliefs of how Bitcoin should be. So those people obviously are Roger Ver, uh, John Ratcliffe. He's, he's a guy that's been in Bitcoin for a long time. He's on the, uh, BTC subreddit. Um, also there is, uh, Eric Voorhees, right? And a lot of them are centered around this cry for censorship. And if I can find this, I'll link this in the show notes. It's, uh, there was a, a post where, uh, Roger Ver said something about, uh, look at these logs of, who's been censored on our BTC is very short or something compared to our Bitcoin. Can they also publish the same thing? Just trying to stir up trouble. How else can you explain that? Why would you post something like that? It's obviously just to stir the pot. To rub that wound raw again. But it was good. I mean, there's a few people on there that really gave it back to Roger Ver saying, what, so you, because they looked at the image and they saw that people were being censored if they had less than 50 karma or uh, worse than negative 50 karma. So maybe their opinions weren't popular. So let's automatically censor them. And there's a few other things in there where people were really taken Roger Ver's task on it. And Roger Ver's explanation was, oh, that's the default setting. Okay, so you're only in favor of default censorship. You're against, like, active censorship to try to bring about constructive dialogue. But you aren't against default censorship? How much sense does that make? And people were pointing that out to him and, you know, he, he couldn't answer it. I thought it backfired on him. Uh, but you know, another thing I, I've, I've said before in the past is that if you give these people like these, they're crying censorship and all this stuff, especially Roger Ver, if you give them attention, like I'm doing now, I guess, uh, they, they win because that discussion stays open. So bottom line is there is censorship on Reddit. And that's fine. If you don't like it, talk on Twitter. Twitter really is where most of the good debates happening right now. I mean, you'll have cross pollination between Ethereum and Bitcoin, vice versa. Uh, so that's, that's where a lot of that's happening as well as Slack. I mean, Slack is the a little bit more serious people, but you know, with the channels being parts of the channel, it's a little bit more restrictive. So you don't have a lot of the cross flow between communities and interests but uh slack there is good uh conversation there too i think the developers hang out on irc so if you really want to make a difference and talk technicals that's either code or economics or whatever you go to irc you don't go to to reddit where most of them are spam accounts anyway right 
Sybil accounts. You, you go to IRC, where the developers are. Oh, man. That's that censorship piece. The other piece is the block size debate, which I think will be growing in importance. I've mentioned this before. It's going to build into the next couple months. Uh, this month is the, at the Hong Kong agreement. They signed some, um, the core devs as well as the miners. They signed an agreement to work towards the end of July as being when there was going to be a hard fork kind of on the table. Uh, it's not yet. So, uh, there's going to be a lot of discussion about that going forward. I think that the core devs, they overestimated what they could get done in this time, but at the same time, they are working towards it. There is a lot of stuff happening. Just this morning, they put, or they branched, uh, put a branch on GitHub for 0.13 of the client, um, you know, there is a lot of stuff happening. It's not stagnant. It's not like they're sitting there on their asses and not doing anything. <laughs> they're doing the hardest coding job in the world right now. Uh, the core devs. So, yeah, just, I'm sure they will get, it will be done quickly enough for the uh, miners. I don't think the miners are going to revolt or anything. It's, but, you know, they're going to have to at least say something about an update to the roadmap really shortly. Probably by the end of the month, I would say they should do that because, um, you know, that, that's what the Hong Kong agreement said. So they need to follow through with that and at least give an update. All right. That's, and that's it. That's all the controversy in Bitcoin. It's not really that much. That's all for this episode, guys. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so at the website, bitcoinandmarkets.com. Uh, each episode has a little uh, player where you click on the button, show notes. It'll pop up all the show notes, including a QR code. I appreciate all the people that donate. Uh, it helps make this show possible. I love doing this, so I want to continue doing it. Uh, thanks again. See you next time. Bye. You've been listening to Bitcoin and Markets. Please like, subscribe, and we'll see you next time. popular uprising here in Turkey, but the, as this goes on now, it's looking more like a great opportunity for Erdogan to switch sides, to go from a more Western-aligned European stance to a more Russian and Eastern-friendly stance. So we'll have to see how this develops. It's, it's an ongoing story, but one thing that I found so, so interesting was the uh, F-16s and